Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Charlie Fry, Director of Library at elite law firm Munger, Tolls, and Olson. In this episode, we talk about the evolution of the librarian function, assisted by metaphors ranging from Indiana Jones to chicken farming to the Library of Alexandria. Charlie talks about how librarians are increasingly expected to be experts not just in retrieving information, but in evaluating new technologies and their use cases. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's great to be here. So, Charlie, I want to ask you about your background. You're the library director at Munger, Tolls & Olson. You've had a very interesting career from getting your MLS and starting as a librarian at multiple firms to ending up now leading a team of folks over at Munger, Tolls & Olson. Work us through that. What was your career progression? So, a very long time ago, I started out as your basic library assistant at the old Squire Sanders and Dempsey, which doesn't exist anymore now, Squire Patton Boggs. And that's really how I got into big law. I got into law firms and I worked there for a couple of years and then I kind of transversed the country and worked at other little firms doing kind of similar things and then moving up in the ranks. And eventually I got to a point where if I was gonna do this for real, I had to go to library school. So I ended up going to library school and then getting back into the game as a, as a librarian. And Before you even went to, to library school, why did you want to be a library assistant? Right out of college, I take it, right? It was funny because actually my uncle is a public librarian mm-hmm. and I was working in bars and restaurants. And I remember at one point my uncle was like, you realize you could get a regular job and they would give you vacation <laughs> and they would pay you benefits and things like that. And it might be fun, too. I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I attempted to get just, I went to a temp agency and they put me in at a at Squire Sanders. Yeah. I'm seeing that's that's a good place job. to land from a temp, yeah. from, from working as, a, what, a waiter to yep. a temp agency to Squire, or now Squire Patent Boggs. Right. Not a bad early <laughs> career trajectory. At what point when you were a library assistant did you realize, or did you come to the conclusion, this is my life. I want to do this. I love this. I love information. I love the, you know, being a librarian. When did it hit you? I think it really was right out of the gates. When I was a library assistant, you know, I was doing kind of uh, the, the standard stuff, but they pretty quickly I started doing kind of little research projects and things like that. And it was very obvious immediately that it was interesting work and you got something different every day. You weren't just doing labor law. You weren't just doing securities litigation. You got something different all the time. And it was all about problem solving. It was all about figuring out, you know, this is the, this is the problem. This is the, the research I need you to do. I'm looking for an answer. Can you figure it out? That's entertaining. That's fun. What, was it kind of the scavenger hunt element of it as well? A little bit. Um, there's definitely an Indiana Jones aspect to it, I would say. Uh, so there's uh, uh, several librarians who may have, may have said that Indiana Jones is really the librarian of the archaeology world. Um, I might say that we're more like the, libra- the Indiana Jones of the librarian world. But uh, either way, it is definitely a there is something out there, may or may not exist. You need to go figure it out. Got it. And... You know, I take it that at, at Squire, Squire Sanders back then, right, if it's Squire Patent yep. Box now, uh, the, the structure would be that the librarian or maybe the library director there would come to you as a junior kind of person who had not yet been to library school and say, hey, we've got a, we've got a problem. We need information to solve it. 
Uh, I mean, what tools would you use at that point? What would your approach be at that point? Right. So this was 1998. So this is really at the beginning of kind of Lexus, Westlaw, online. I mean, online, I'm, I'm going to put in quotes, right, that, you know, electronic resources, you know, the World Wide Web did not exist in its full power as it does today, obviously. So there were definitely a lot of gatekeeping issues where you didn't have attorneys straight up, you know, on Lexus, on Westlaw, on electronic resources all day, every day. A lot of that stuff came to the library because they were the experts at it. They were the ones that knew how to use the Lexus, you know, interface. And I take it at that point, these things were so expensive and maybe kind of untested. So, you know, it's like the old Bloomberg terminals or something, right? You know, now a lot of people yeah. have them at their desk, but before there was one or two or three for uh, a, you know, an entire floor on a financial institution. Right. Right. I mean, I, I take it that Lexus kind of represented that back then. Yeah. So at that point, it, it was uh, late enough that everybody kind of had their own direct access, but it was so complicated. You know, it wasn't kind of the, the Googlefication of the Lexus and Westlaw that you see today. It was much more kind of menu driven and it was complicated. So right. it was really part of the expertise of the librarians to be able to get the information out of those things for the attorneys. And so you became a specialist, I take it, in that, right? In, right. In using these electronic resources to find information. Yep, absolutely. So there's kind of two paths, right? There's kind of the technical services world and there's the reference or research world. The technical services world has decreased a lot because of just everything that's been changing recently. Or you could say it's transformed into more of, instead of technical services where you're cataloging books or doing those things, those people are called electronic resource librarians where they're really managing electronic resources, not doing a traditional kind of technical services. Got it. I, I, I like that distinction. I'm not sure I ever actually knew that distinction. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, so you went to, to library school and um, you uh, get your first job as a full-fledged librarian now, not yep. a temp agency, just immediately post-waiter assistant. Right. Yeah. You're a librarian now. And you right. are, and, and you, you go on a kind of a progression of firms as well as seniority, right, that culminates with you being a library director running a, a, an organization, running a team. Right. Uh, what was that progression in? You know, this is an intentionally broad question. I mean, what did you learn along the way? So the first one right out of library school, I was a branch librarian at Nelson Mullins in South Carolina. So it was kind of a traditional 300, 350 attorney firm, you know, uh, probably seven librarians, if I'm remembering correctly. I had responsibility for some a couple branch offices. So that's kind of where it starts where, look, you have this little group that you're now responsible for. And then as you feed through, right, your next job, you're responsible for a team. The next job, you're kind of responsible for some part of the operation. Like in my case, it would have been reference. And then it moves up to there where now you're responsible for the whole operation. Did the model, uh, or, or I should say, was the model the same as the model is now is in the library is, and you've got a, a really interesting metaphor uh, to the library at Alexandria, but you know, what was and I'd love to hear you talk about it, but was the model essentially the same as when you were a library assistant, which is a problem from law practice kind of percolates down or to the side or up or whatever you want to call it to the library. And the librarians who are the keepers of information and kind of the, 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 the masters of what the law firm actually possesses with respect to volumes or electronic resources finds the answer and answers the question. I mean, was, yeah. has it always been like that? And is it that way now? I think the the thing that has remained the same is there is a problem accessing 
the correct information that the attorney or whoever needs and that the librarian attempts to solve that problem. What has changed now is the actual resources or the materials or the information that they're using to do that. So my joke about the library at Alexandria is you walked into that library, you got a bunch of scrolls hanging around, which scroll do I use, which scroll is going to be useful to me. The librarian there is going to be able to tell you, you want the scroll on shelf 862, that's going to be the one to help you out. Now it's totally changed, but what's changed is the actual resources. There's no more scrolls, now there's electronic resources, right? So it's different in that you're, you're giving them a different format, you're giving them information from a different source, but still the problem is, can you find me the information I need? Right, the symmetry still holds, right? The, the librarians are information, information professionals and they have the time and the mind and the mandate from the firm to understand the full universe of everything that the firm has. Right. And the attorneys just don't have the time or inclination or skill or whatever to know it. And so they need to, you know, in in this analogy, they could eventually find it in the library at, at Alexandria. Right. Right? I think you're being charitable with two hours or five hours. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I certainly have done some legal research that took me, you know, where I burnt 15 or more or 30, I don't know how right. many hours. Uh, just doing something inefficiently. Does that symmetry hold even with uh, digital electronic resources that no matter how fast search gets, no matter um, how far the Googleification of all of this goes, ultimately the librarians are going to know where everything is and you kind of need a human being to know where everything is and know the best approaches to query it to get it. Right. So, you know, what they pay us for, right, is to save them time, money, and, and to have the expertise to do that. And when you walked into the, the library at Alexandra, it, it was very obvious to you that you didn't know where the scroll was that you needed. I think what's interesting and what's changed now is that if you look at Westlaw Next or Lexus Advance, because they've made it more Google-fied, sometimes it is difficult for the user, the attorney, the paralegal, whoever, to realize they're not finding the right scroll or they may feel like the scroll doesn't exist when really it does. And what they have us for is to make sure we get that for them, right? Is to make sure that we're experts at this and that we can do what they need to have done. You know, we did a judge survey, uh, I believe it was last year, and uh, I forget the specific numbers, but uh, we were shocked at the number of judges that responded to the survey that said that you know, it was something like over 60% of rulings that they issued right. um, it, you know, had case law in it that neither side cited throughout the entire yeah. briefing cycle. And that strikes me as the Library of Alexandria, right? I mean, yeah. but, you know, uh, or maybe very cocky users of the Library of Alexandria. They walk in, they kind of walk past the library or right. whatever, and they spend five hours and they're like, I found it. And sure enough, they did not find it because right. oftentimes they don't know exactly how to find the information the best. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely harder, though, to, to you know, use the Rumsfeld word, you know, to, you know, the unknown unknowns, right? That, look, Westlaw and Lexis and a lot of these resources seem very easy to use now. It seems like I type in my words and I get what I need. So... If you walked into Alexandria, it would be overwhelming. You know you weren't finding what you need. It is more difficult to do that now. And I think, you know, one of the tricks is, and here's just a random example. Like on Westlaw, the judges thing is interesting, right? So we've gotten this question before where my order, I looked for my document or my order, it's not on Westlaw. Well, what they looked really for was in the actual like HTML database of trial court orders. 
It was not in there. But all the federal dockets are on Westlaw. So it's there. You just have to go to the dockets and pull it out of the PDF from the dockets. That's a, a you know, it doesn't feel like a complicated thing, but that's a tricky thing. And if you don't know that, then you think it's not there. And those are the kind of things that today I think is different than, than before is that librarians really need to educate their users, not only how to use the tools, but how to be aware that, look, it's in there. So if you're not finding it, you need to come to us and ask us. Does this kind of track a um, this dichotomy? I think I've, I spoke to Oz Benamram for the CK of White and Case mm -hmm. about this. Um, and, and, you know, roughly the dichotomy is that, you know, in the, let's say, 90s, we went from an environment where the objective of a law firm library was just to buy and add on more and more and more and more volumes of stuff, right? right? Make sure pretty, you have everything. Exactly. Make sure you have everything. And it was pretty linear, right? You had a, a single catalog that had all of the library resources that right. you have, right? Um, and the limiting factor was, um, you know, the, the actual amount of information that you could onboard as a library, right? right? Where now the limiting factor is not the amount of information you could onboard. The limiting factor is how quickly you can search and sort through the information that, that the entire firm has access to. Right. Right. It, it, does that kind of track this Library of Alexandria uh, um, paradigm as well? Well, I think a little bit. You know, the, the difference before, right, is that you had physical libraries. When I was a branch librarian at Nelson Mullins, all of these branches had their own physical library. That obviously is going away in droves. Why? Because all of that information is now centralized electronically. So you don't need to have branch librarians everywhere where, oh, we don't have this resource here at this branch, but we have it at the other branch. So the big question was, well, what do you need to have in each branches? Now you just have one centralized electronic source. It has everything or quote unquote everything, and now you just need people to be able to get the information out of there, right? So there's so much, how do you get what you need out of it? And I think there's also a, a financial aspect of that because you know, in, in, we used to talk about where one of the things that the librarians were kind of tasked with doing is, look, you wanna have a chicken, do you need a chicken or do you need a chicken farm? Do we, why are we buying a chicken farm if you really just need one chicken? And I think in the same way, you look at the resources today, right? Why are we buying 35 electronic resources that all do the same thing if we really only need one? So there's a financial component to it that has changed, that has been placed more on the librarian because, look, they used to just say, we need, you know, we need the Federal Register. We need every copy of the Federal Register. We need the latest copy. And it was very easy to kind of determine that independent of what the cost was. Now... The librarians have, have been tasked with being experts in understanding what are the resources available, which ones do we want, are we getting a chicken farm when we really need a chicken, are we getting individual chickens, we're paying for an individual chicken every time when we could just buy a farm and save millions of dollars. I feel like the library function has um, evolved dramatically in the last, I don't know, even 10, 15 years. I mean, uh, we were talking a little bit before this about the fact that all of a sudden now um, librarians kind of need to be in charge of the economy of the library, right? And making sure that they are contributing to the business uh, and you know determine, determine whether the library is a cost center or not. And then on the other hand, um, librarians are now kind of tasked with being tech experts, right? I mean, as you just mentioned, the, this chicken and chicken farm analogy, you, I bet, didn't know when you were in library school that you were going to have to be a, uh, a expert evaluator of whether a technology 
is good or not. Right. Yeah. And that is your that is a role that you are, you know, uh, that, that you have now come into and you run a team that does that. But that's new. Right. I think it's it's new in, in a very specific way that they taught you in library school or, or just say in your experience, you know, at, at a law firm 10 years ago that, look, there were specific library resources, like a library catalog that obviously they would teach you how to do. And then you had a handful of resources that every law firm had, whether it be Westlaw, Lexus, whatever. That has now exploded, right? When you have, you know, vendors like Case Text and all these other kind of 2.0 vendors coming out, right? It's not just, oh, do we want Westlaw, do we want Lexus, or do we want both, and now try to get the best deal. It's like, okay, you have 50 plus, right, potential resources you want to buy. Do you want to buy them at all? If you do want to buy them, what are they worth to the firm, right? If you're paying 10 bucks for it, is that fine? Or really, that's too much and really five bucks is better. So, you know, you always try to get the cheapest deal, but the trickier part today, the trickier thing that has changed is evaluating these resources, not only that they're quality and they're, they are what they say they are and they actually do the things you want them to do, but also, is it worth it? Is it bottom line something that you want to pay for that's that's helping your firm in a financial way you know one of the things that you said earlier is that uh, a lot of the the functions of a, a librarian kind of occupy these three buckets right or, or maybe the changes in how librarians interact with firms and that's money time and expertise right uh, and and these these you know we covered some parts of some of these buckets but i just want you to kind of give us a sense of uh, why these three categories are kind of salient in your mind uh, in your role as a library director running this operation at, at Munger Tools. Yeah, it's interesting because I think they were always there. I mean, the reason law firms have librarians were for money, time, and expertise from the beginning of time, and that's still true now. But it's changed a little bit, right? So that, you know, the particularly since 2008, I think the, the financial aspect kind of became more front and center for all departments. So while the library was kind of a, okay, we know that's gonna cost X amount of dollars and so be it. Every part of a law firm you're trying to utilize in the most efficient way. And that means money and that means time and that means expertise, right? So how do you utilize the library, whether it's billing time or not billing time, whether it's effectively being experts in some kind of research task or, or some kind of general task that the firm needs to have done, but maybe they can't bill for it. Is that something that the library can do? Those are the things that I think have changed, that it's all become a much more focused kind of customer service, kind of bottom line, okay, what is the financial situation of the library? What is the time quotient that they are saving us? Because time obviously is money, particularly at a law firm. What is the efficiency aspect to a, to a, a library that, that is being integrated in the firm? And then the expertise, what do they knew, know? What can they do that other aspects of the firm cannot? So we want to make sure we utilize their time for that opposed to other things that other aspects of the firm can be doing that would be more efficient. How has the perception from the firm's end of a library changed from before the recession to after the recession? And this relates to that money piece of money time expertise. I, I think the, the billable, so um, the library is an interesting timekeeper, right? Librarians are timekeepers, but unlike attorneys and paralegals, they usually don't have required billable hours. And they don't have a, an aspect of pressure that says, look, you can only do billable work. If you're not doing billable work, you shouldn't be doing it. 
the library does things across the board, right? Business development, competitive intelligence, obviously all of those things. So before kind of 2008, those things were a little, you know, depending on the firm, obviously, and, and the library, those things were a little softer, I'd say. And now what has changed is that people are more interested in utilizing the library, whether it's a direct client facing thing where, look, we're going to do this for the client and, you know, it, it's a service that we're providing that we're going to bill for, or whether it's the librarians actually doing billable time that they're going to push through to the clients. That's a valuable thing for them. It's a value, value that add for the client. Or whether these are things that we can't bill for, we're choosing not to bill for, and maybe using the library in that aspect because they are fast, because they are experts, and they can do this thing you know, in a way that is more efficient than an associate or a paralegal can do, we're not gonna bill that through, but we're saving money, right? The firm is using the library as the most efficient way possible, and therefore, bottom line, it's the best financial thing to do. And do you think that's a newfound concept, right? Not to be, you know, cynical as to the motivations of firms, but, right. you know, I mean, we know, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, the sea change, and I've talked about it with you, the sea change from before the recession to after the recession. You know, the fact that realization rates were sky high across a lot of things that would just not be palatable to clients now. Right. Doc review, right? I mean, right. in the mid-90s, you had just hordes, hordes of associates billing real money on doc review. Not because they were uh, you know, nefarious, but because the technology wasn't there to do it better. Um, did you, do you think that uh, you know, post-recession, um, where there's this there's this added importance on efficiency and added kind of messaging to clients that we're an efficient firm that the library all of a sudden is more in the spotlight and kind of steps up as an entity because it is a, you know, can be looked at in some ways as a cost center. I mean, I know there's, there's some timekeepers and you bill, bill back some, some time. Oh, but it's definitely a cost center overall. Of course, I mean, it's never going to make, you know, the money for the budget. Exactly. Exactly. But it makes the entire firm better. Right. And now clients appear to care about that more, right? I mean, I had a, a conversation and, you know, it, we had a conversation, uh, um, you know, on the podcast with a fellow named Evan Shankman. He's a director of KM at Ogletree. And, um, you know, he has, has kind of uh, advanced a lot of thought leadership about how the knowledge management function and the library function also uh, is a critical part of pitching to clients, how right. clients all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the last 11 years maybe, really care about how a firm is doing work efficiently, uh, not just that they're doing the work or the work right. gets done. How has that changed? And, and you know, how, you know, how is the library function at Munger Tools and other firms kind of adapted to that, that kind of step up? Yeah, I think your, your last point about how clients are more interested um, so something that has changed is that in the RFP process, right, you'll tend to see questions now about what resources do you have? And they want to make sure that your those resources exist at your firm because they see that as being efficient, right? And those are questions that sometimes the library is asked to kind of answer in the RFP, right? That is definitely a new thing, right? So that, that didn't happen before. And I think that's because that question wasn't in the RFP before. And the perception of the library has changed where now, oh, they're asking, you know, what analytical tools do we have? Who knows about our analytical tools? Oh, the library is the one that keeps giving us, you know, analytics on judges and experts and, you know, all kinds of stuff. 
maybe they know about this question. So I think in kind of a, a real life example, that's definitely happening now, which it did not happen before. But the overall sea change is definitely a, a perception that clients are more sensitive to not having people who are are kind of over, it's not over billing, it's just that you know they wanna make sure that the most efficient person is doing the work that they're paying for, right? So if it's the $100 librarian that can do it instead of the $300 librarian, the junior librarian instead of the senior librarian, then the junior librarian should be doing it, right? And that, so those things are much more you know, front of mind for everybody concerned, right? The law firms and the clients. Yeah, I want to get back into this, um, this, this framework that we have, you know, time, money, expertise. But a question came to mind, and, and that is, I know that you are very proud of the moniker librarian. Uh, in I am, a, in, yeah. in an era, some of my colleagues would disagree with that. Right, right. I mean, in in a, a time where a lot of folks, and uh, you know, nothing wrong with their decisions to right. you know say the, the 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 you know the title is not for me, but um, you know, in an era when a lot of people are kind of gravitating away from that, maybe putting the term information in in right. their title yeah. or PAM or whatever it may be, why are you proud of that uh, of that title, and why do you intend? Uh, to, to tout it and stick with it. <laughs> well, I think the, my argument to my colleagues is always, first of all, a librarian is a known term. People know what librarians are. You ask a, you know, a first grader at school, you ask you know, the general of you know, the you know, army of uh, the NATO alliance, whatever. You, know, you ask someone in China, you ask somebody in France. Everybody knows what a librarian is. So why do we want to give up that name recognition? The trick to me, I think, is taking that perception that a librarian is the guy hanging out you know, with the scrolls in Alexandria to what is a librarian today, that what we want to do is we want to own that name, take all the positive kind of support and recognition that comes with that, but then transform it into a modern librarian 2.0 perception so people aren't just thinking it's about scrolls and books, but they're thinking about electronic resources, they're thinking about, you know, online research, online expertise, information understanding, and particularly in this situation where you have, you know, a lot of things about misinformation, you know, who better than librarians to kind of understand what is misinformation, what are quality sources, what are not quality sources. So I, you know, my, my final joke on that is you see a lot of TV shows where, you know, you have like uh, SEAL Team 6 is out in the field or you have some kind of FBI, you know, guys and stuff, and there's always one person back at the office in front of a computer, typing on the computer and they're like, I need to know the location, you know, what's the address of this person? They like type a couple things and then suddenly they're like, oh, they're at, you know, 325 Main Street. The person sitting at that computer is a librarian. Now they might call them a CIA analyst, they might call them some kind of, you know, funny, uh, you know, military term or whatever. But to me, that person is a librarian. And if we call that person a librarian, I think our profession would be better off because then people are like, oh yeah, I guess that is a librarian. It's a librarian 2.0. I love that. I, I love that. <laughs> I, there's so many directions I could go with librarian 2.0. Um, you, you know what? Let's let's 
<laughs> let's go back to time. There's, let's go back to time on the X-Men. We'll save it for volume two of this podcast. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks, uh, for example, though, at AAWL and other organizations who absolutely love them. And I think I've heard some, some similar things. I've never heard it put quite in that way. So I, I appreciate that. Um, so we've talked a little bit about money, right? Um, you, we've talked about the, the chicken and the chicken chicken farm. We, we didn't talk about this much, but there's always the question about um, in-house versus outsourcing. Right. It is something that, that uh, we've talked about briefly. What, what jumps out uh, at you about that, that, you know, that point? You know, the, there's, there's an HR joke where um, it says, you know, it would be really easy to be the HR director of this company if it wasn't for all the employees. <laughs> So at some level, you know, you can always outsource anybody. Right. And one of the reasons that you don't outsource them is because you think there's more value into having the in-house person. And I think librarians are, are, is a perfect example of that. Not only do they kind of, the, the knowledge of the firm, the knowledge of the firm's clients and business and, yes. and the individual people involved, you know, this partner, that partner, this paralegal, you know, that paralegal, there is value in that and being able to support those people with their information needs that I think is often lost on outsourcing. Now, obviously, there, you know, who are, you know, who are the outsourcers? You know, you know, there's always going to be kind of a mix of different people. But if you kind of get the right in-house librarian and, and that person is developed as a partner with the firm, then I think the value of the, the in-house opposed to the outsource it, it can just be ex- extremely valuable. You know, let's let's transition now to the the idea of of time and, um, you know, you discussed how the, the the law firm in its most actualized way, right, very seamlessly pushes a, a certain project down to the person who has the lowest billing rate that could do the work most efficiently. Right. Um, you know, is that is that the uh, I, I should say a better question is how is the library implicated in that, right? Because yeah. the, the library oftentimes has this very vast spread, right, where you could have a one hundred dollar junior librarian who just knows things, right, just knows where things are, right. that can do a certain task substantially quicker than a partner billing at $1,200 an hour. And I think a lot of partners would agree with that, right? Right. I think sometimes there's an asymmetry in how to kind of shuffle that work to the librarian. What's your take on that? I think it's tricky in two ways, right? In the same way that, you know, you have similar problems with uh, partners, associates, and paralegals, you know, trying to find the right person for the right task. I mean, unlike in like a company like General Electric or something, there isn't this billable hour aspect out there, right? So that kind of factors into the efficiency uh, question. If you're a General Electric, right, you just find the who's, who's the cheapest person, right? Who's the lowest person, you know, that we're paying? We're only paying this person $10 an hour. We're paying this person $20 an hour. The $10 an hour person can do it. Obviously, we're going to have them do it. That gets a little mixed up with the billable hour. But what also is in conjunction with that is the time, right, aspect. Let's just in general assume that whatever task we're talking about, the library can do quicker, right? So I think the pressure is to use the library in a lot of ways because of the time factor. Because instead of using somebody else at the firm who may be able to bill for it, whose billing rate might be a little bit higher, to do that in two hours, three hours, instead of the library doing it in an hour, that can become a tricky question, right? 
because that might be something that the library does quicker, but there might be other things that that associate or that paralegal cannot do, and you need the library to do that. Like any department, the library is a limited resource, right? So if any research kind of from pulling a case to doing some kind of complex you know, legal research, if the librarian can do it just as well as the other person and can do it faster, do you want them to spend their time doing that? Or do you want them to spend their time doing business development and competitive intelligence, which those other people cannot do, right? I've got a controversial question for you. Ready? Sure. Uh, I know that the legal industry has been using the billable hour, you know, since the beginning of time. Right. And a lot of firms are just locked into this. You know, some clients probably prefer it. It's the status quo. Is the billable hour model of doing business broken? I don't think it is broken. I think that from my perspective, how it factors in just makes things harder from a law firm perspective to determine what is the most efficient business savvy way to utilize all of your resources. And I think a lot of firms address that different ways, but the, the thing about the clients, right, is that they're, they're asking us to either not bill for things or to bill, you know, they're demanding that a lower billable rate be used to do that thing. And so firms have to decide whether for their personal efficiencies, that's worth it to them, or whether the really the move is not doing away with the billable hour, but just say, we're not going to bill for this at all. And that brings the library back in. And that's something that has changed that is different today than it was 10 years ago is that when they have those conversations where, look, we can't bill for this or we can't bill at this rate for this. Well, how about the library as an option to use that to have them do it and not bill for it or to have them bill it at their lower rate? Which kind of represents a hybrid model, right? Like clearly not right. pure billable. And, you know, um, I think this may be the first time I've thought about this. This might be a ridiculous idea. But do you think that the library and a, and a more robust library, uh, bigger library, more experienced library, could be a bridge between a pure billable hour business model to a model that is, is you know, 80 or 70% alternative fee arrangement, right? Whether it's oh, pre Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about the library department at every firm is that they have the flexibility simply by the way they've kind of matured or evolved over the years that they are the department that has the flexibility to do the things that you can't bill for, to do the things that you need to bill at a lower rate. They are capable of doing all of those things. So if you're getting fee pressure, whether it's the billable rate, we're not going to bill for this, we've got to bill a low rate, or you're in an alternative fee arrangement so that you know maybe your, your number, right, you want to use that for other things, you don't want to use that number for research, let's say. The library can fill that gap. You know, look, the library is flexible. You don't have to bill their time out. Let's use them. Let's use them for these things that either we can't bill or we don't want to put into the alternative view. And, and I'm sure from the client's perspective, I mean, if I was the client, and I'm not just saying this because I know your library is well run and you're good at this, but if I was a client, I'd say, Give as much of my work to Charlie and his team as possible. <laughs> right. And well, I'm obviously going to agree with that. Right. So, of course, you know, 
there's only so many of us and and we're dwindling actually so there's a phalanx of you know associates and paralegals out there the numbers are just not there right and that's even at the big firms that have you know hordes of librarians it's still a relatively small number compared to the number of paralegals they have right the number of associates they have so that's one of the problems is that unless you're going to have some huge influx and in going to library schools and getting everybody on the law library train you only have so many people. You only have uh, you have limited resources in the library. Where are you going to distribute those resources, right? Like they can't do everything. They may have the ability to do everything, but they don't have the time to do everything because there's only so many of them. They only have so many hours in the day. Interesting. Uh, you you mentioned one thing. I'm going to circle back to it, and that is the business and competitive intelligence piece, and how that is also part of the portfolio of the law library in a lot of cases. Right. Uh, I think that would be a surprise to some people. I mean, if you're from the outside looking in, you might think that uh, the marketing department or, right. uh, you know, maybe the partners or associates themselves do a lot of that. What work in, uh, you know, CI and BI is handled by the library and why is the library so crucial, um, you know, to, to uh, do those kinds of, uh, you know, kind of mission critical BD kind of uh, right. jobs? So it can definitely vary wildly from firm to firm. There are some firms that have a, a competitive intelligence department, right? Or it's a part of marketing and they may have CI analysts who I might call librarians. <laughs> <laughs> and, but however you want to talk about it, there are librarians doing that kind of work. And the reason they're doing that kind of work is because that's right in their expertise of information analysis, right? So a law firm librarian hopefully understands their firm, understands their business model, understands their strengths and weaknesses, understands what partner X cares about, understands what partner X may need to know going into that room for the pitch. And so they do their research, they do their information analysis, they don't hand them 35 articles, they hand them the three articles that they think will help them in the room. And the librarian, you know, from library school all the way through, they are uniquely positioned and trained with their masters of library science to do that kind of work. And so, it, you know, circling back to the, the um, librarian moniker, uh, when people think of librarians, they think of books, they should think of the analysis of information irrespective of what form. Right. And that's a funny thing. We had books for a long time, right? But, right. you know, as soon as they got rid of the scrolls and got the books, they were probably like, ah, you're just doing you're just doing scrolls all day, aren't you? And the librarian was like, "No, I'm all about books. How can you have? How, why do you keep talking about scrolls? We got books here now. They're much better. Right. It's the same deal now, right? Yeah. And there, you know, and people forget about the transformation. There was about 25 seconds there where we got rid of books and we got CD-ROMs until everyone realized, oh wait, there's the internet now. So you know, the information source, the resources are always going to change, and they've changed. You know, they they change quickly, and right now they're changing really quickly. Right. But the librarian's expertise is still information retrieval, information analysis. And that is, you know, they don't teach us about books in library school. They teach us about information. And to what extent is it the librarian's job to train other people at the firm, like associates, partners, paralegals, right. on how to be kind of amateur information analysts? Right. I mean, you can't be in everything. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that's a huge part, because, again, you know, we're limited resources. Right. So we do a lot of trainings. We, we want every, I mean, particularly now because it has changed and it's harder to see 
what you can't see in Westlaw Next, in Lexus Advanced, because they do seem so natural now. Part of the training is not only how to use these resources, it's understanding what are what is it giving you, right? If you know, if you look at a source like you know um, Galvanetics, which is you know state court judges, or even let's not even say that. Let's just say Pacer, right? You have to you know it, it, you don't want an associate spinning their wheels looking for L.A. Superior Court filings on Pacer. It's not going to be there, right? So you want to be able to train them in these sources to know what tool to use, right? We've got all these tools. Which tool is going to give you the answer based on the resources they have? So we're constantly doing training on that. And that's become a lot more difficult because it's not just Westlaw and Lexus. You have varied, you know, a lot of varied tools that are all really good but have unique functions now. It's not just you go to Westlaw or Lexus, you get everything you want there. Different tools have very unique functions. A lot of this podcast is pulling out the crystal ball and looking into it and seeing what's coming up next. And I want to kind of transition to that at this point. Uh, based on everything that you've seen in your last you know, 20 years or so of being a librarian, analyzing information, uh, you know, uh, in the 90s, I think they had scrolls, right? Uh, uh, today yeah, today uh, yeah. we, we have the internet. <laughs> but you know, what's coming up next? I mean, how uh, if, you're, if you're telling the story of like the 2020s, Right. Uh, what does that look like with respect to time, money, and expertise? Right. As right. Uh, the library is a cost center, as the library is the evaluator of technology, as all of these these things. I mean, right. what are some predictions that you could provide our listeners <laughs> as to what's coming up next? So, it's it's going to be tricky to see because I think depending on how the resources shake out, right, you, you could have a situation where you know Ma Bell is broken up. And that the, the price on these things, the, the price point and the price pressures on legal research start to decrease, actually, because there are so many options out there. So some people that kind of, you know, had a very high dollar amount, there are going to be firms that are saying, well, why am I paying this much just for case law, right? When if I do anything else, I go to these other five specialized vendors. And so basically, I'm just paying for case law, or I'm just paying for these three treatises, right? That I only use three treatises all the time. Why am I paying so much money for that? So I think there could be price pressures where you'll see, you know, not a, a price war, but more of a leveling off than some of them have been exponentially going higher, right? But what's funny is that if you find your niche, it can definitely go the other way. So if one of these little resources that has this thing that everybody now loves the price is going to go through the roof, right? And you already see a little bit of that now where some specialty, you know, vendors, the price is very high and it's either, you know, take it or leave it. So I think the resource thing is an interesting aspect because it could, it could definitely go either way. And, you know, some of the big players could buy out a lot of the little players and that could change it too. But I think there's definitely a feeling that some of the, the players in the room are not looking to just take a bag of money, that they are looking to kind of have a, a long-term plan. So I think there will be price pressures on that and we'll break it up a little bit. As far as the, you know, and, and that's I'll, I'll throw that as my money contingent there. The time thing is interesting too, because, you know, what do the big vendors want to do? The big vendors want to take out two things. They don't want the librarians it's not that they don't like us. It's that they would prefer that the librarians don't have to be a medium or a go-between between their resource and the attorney. They want their resource to be so transparent, so easy to use, 
so kind of natural for the research that anybody can use it. And they also want them to be able to get everything in one place, right? So it is possible that if that happens, I don't think we're there now, but with artificial intelligence and all this thing, that instead of running a search and the librarian after being like, okay, you got A, but you want B, C, and D too. So you got to you know, do this little trick for B, you got to use this other resource for C, and then D, you just got to kind of manually pull it together. Obviously, some point in the future, artificial intelligence, what have you, A, B, and C, D is all going to be able to be put together. Is there going to be a vendor that does that, successfully does it? It has to happen at some point. And I think for that, it will remove the librarians from things like legal research. I already feel that you're seeing it a little bit now. Now, some of my colleagues would say, things are so complicated right now. There's so many vendors that we're still right in the middle of that mix. I would agree. But I think for better or worse, you're starting to see more people, whether they're billing for it or not, more associates, more paralegals, whoever, doing their legal research themselves and not calling on the library to do that. Calling on the library for other things, other expertise, notwithstanding CI, things like business you know, research, like I got companies, I got information I need about companies, not about cases on cats and dogs anymore, because I can do that myself. I'm comfortable doing that myself. So I think the case research, and that's obviously the most natural place for the vendors to kind of focus. I still believe that you're going to see that some point go away from the library. And that is going to become so natural and, and so direct for attorneys to access and so easy, right, for them to access. That's going to go away as a thing for the library. And that's why the library should focus more on things like competitive intelligence, things like different aspects of research that are not straight up case law research. Uh, of course, you know, it's going to go away at some point. But right now, uh, a lot of these tools that are, you know, have good interface that are well designed are giving attorneys the misimpression, I guess, that they are finding everything, right? And right, so, and that's the trick that, right. you know, I would argue that's true right now. The better it gets, the less that will be true. And if you kind of think about the, the curve flattening eventually, some point down the line, it will not be true because the machine will be so good. It will not have a misimpression. It will actually be giving them everything they need, right? Charlie, this has been great. This has been a wide-ranging discussion. <laughs> Uh, to you know, from from the moniker of librarian to the library at Alexandria to time, money, and expertise, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. It's, it's been Thank very so fun. Much. It's been a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you, and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com. Tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer. And check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.